just a shot in the dark here. But are you someone who feels uncomfortable with the idea of being vulnerable? It makes sense. It's actually pretty healthy. Vulnerability should involve some discomfort. It's kind of wrapped into the definition, right? Although I'm sure you've heard, or on some level you know, that there are some amazing connections and experiences just on the other side of being vulnerable. Today we're going to chat a little bit about vulnerability through the lens of Brene Brown's amazing book, Daring Greatly. Welcome to The Grit Show. Growth on purpose. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Shauna Rodriguez, and I'm honored to be joining you on this journey as part of this community growing together as seekers and thrivers. If you haven't gotten your copy of our free coloring pages to support you on your self-care journey, jump on over to coloringpages.thegritshow.com to download those and get added to our mailing list. The link is in the show notes, which makes it easy to find. Today, you get a shorter solo episode with just me. I get you one-on-one, and I'm very excited to dive in and chat with you a bit about someone else's work and concepts that I found extremely powerful and valuable. Renee Brown is a PhD and a researcher. She's also a social worker and a storyteller. She has multiple books you may be familiar with, from The Gifts of Imperfection, Rising Strong, Braving the Wilderness, and Dare to Lead, as well as Daring Greatly, which will be the focus of our conversation today. I'm a big fan of her work, and not just because of my long career as a social worker and my heart of a storyteller, (laughs) though I'm sure that helps. If you know Brene, or if you've seen her speak or heard about her, she connects and she relates. She does research that tells a story, and it makes an impact. Her work is also very easy to apply. And being here on The Grit Show, you know that's what we like. We like things that you can immediately reflect on and see reflected in your life. We can't begin a conversation about doing greatly without starting with vulnerability. And because of time, that's really going to be the majority of our focus. So we're going to start with definitions, right? Keep it simple. So the definition from Merriam-Webster around vulnerability is capable of being wounded or open to attack or damage. It seems like the conversation might end right there, right? Why would we want to be those things? What could be the benefit of being capable of being wounded or open to attack or damage, right? Most of what we work for in in policy and in wars and everything else is to try to not be vulnerable. We try to prevent those things from happening, from being wounded or attacked or damaged. However, in the book, Brene notes very succinctly the vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is a source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. Which, I mean, love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, creativity, hope, empathy, accountability, all of those words, authenticity, like those are all the words. That when we think of what we want in our life, like that pretty much just defines them. So it seems to get to all the places we want to be and have all the things we want to have that we need to start with vulnerability. So that's why today we're going to have a conversation about vulnerability as a doorway to get to all the good stuff. Because the life you want 
is likely just on the other side of vulnerability. So to have this conversation, we're mostly going to focus on the part of the book where she kind of unpacks and looks at the myths related to vulnerability. Because I think that's where most of us are, that the blockages for us, the places that make it hard to be vulnerable are these myths that we kind of hold around it. So we're going to touch on those and kind of unpack that a little bit as our starting place to kind of look at ourselves and why we find it hard to be vulnerable and how we can be vulnerable in a way that's smart. Because again, we started with the definition, right? The The definition alone makes you take pause to be like, why would I want to be vulnerable? Well, because I want all these amazing things that come with it. And because that's what I look for in my connections with other people, that's what draws me to them. That is the good stuff, is the vulnerability. So if that's what we want, then how can we kind of unpack what is preventing us from being there and from having? So the first myth we're going to look at is vulnerability is weakness. And so for that, again, we're going to go back to the book and we're going to look at a quote that she actually has in here that says, when we spend our lives pushing away and protecting ourselves from feeling vulnerable or from being perceived as too emotional, we feel contempt when others are less capable or willing to mask feelings, suck it up and soldier on. We've come to the point where rather than respecting and appreciating the courage and daring behind vulnerability, We let our fear and discomfort become judgment and criticism. So there's this piece that to some extent, some of us, when we see vulnerability, because we have such a strong belief that it's a weakness, that we actually judge others who are vulnerable. And some of that comes from, as humans, we can have a hard time with emotions, with feelings, even though they are, at their root, one of those important parts of the human experience. This is something that I hope that we'll get into later um, in the podcast in a future episode because it's something I'm still learning about, which I'm amused I have so much to learn about considering I have a master's degree and a clinical license that um, I kind of missed some of this. Like I have a good understanding of it with young children and not so much with my own life and adults and that type of piece. It's amusing how I work so hard to be a specialist with working with children and with other people so that I didn't have to apply things to my own life. Yeah, that was a vulnerability thing too. Um, (laughs) Other reasons we're having this podcast. But this much I know, vulnerability and the emotions that come with it is something we all need to reckon with a bit to be able to show up more authentically and get what we want in life. And so with looking at what I read about pushing away and protecting ourselves from feeling vulnerable or being too emotional, something we do, because it's kind of a scary feeling when we don't know what to do with it and we're not familiar and comfortable with it. And so we do tend to judge and we do push away and we do see it as weakness instead of finding the strength in it. And so that is part of what we need to work for and to see that as a strength. And oftentimes it's when we can find the people we see it as a strength in that we can then see as a strength in ourselves. And Brene Brown, if you're familiar with her, I think it's one of the great things that she's brought to the conversation is that you see her and her own journey and see that as something you admire and something you can connect with. And it makes it easier for you as a leader to see that and connect with that. And as you look at the people in your life 
but have been vulnerable with you and those moments you've connected with them, that's when you start to have that. So I feel like that the vulnerability is weakness myth is easiest busted when we find others that we see as a strength and and we can so slowly apply that to ourselves. So that's a myth you kind of prescribe to. I feel like that's the place to start is to start to see where you see as a strength and to understand that that connection that we all want and that authenticity we all want is just on the other side of it. The second myth is just a simple, I don't do vulnerability. (laughs) How many of you are like, yeah, that's me. I just don't do vulnerability. Um, I think that I was that way for a long time and didn't even realize I was that way for a long time. (laughs) And part of that, I think that for everyone listening, that part of that can be, you know, a defense mechanism, but also sometimes we're worried that our truth isn't enough, that we've been through some hard things. I think that everyone listening, one reason you're here, one reason this is a podcast you've chosen is because you've been through some hard things. Like I've said, The Grit Show, that title is because we've been through the things. And that is why we've got the grit. That's why we're here. This is, The name describes the people that are in the audience. So what we've been through is hard. We, we made through, but it was hard. And that's why you're here. And it took a toll to get to the other side of that. And it's sometimes hard for others to see that toll. And even if they see that, we don't need their judgment. And sometimes we're still recovering ourselves and we don't have space for their judgment. And it's been amazing for me, like when I've even gotten to a place to share some things, which we'll talk about this a little bit later. But I went through a very difficult time where I was actually um, fired from a job that I had, a job that I was amazing at. And I can say that without flinching. I knew it at the time that I was amazing at it. But of course, when you get fired, you question everything. But I had actually reported to HR that I'd been sexually harassed shortly before the bizarre firing that took place. and. Those two things were directly related. And I still stand firmly behind the fact they were. And there's a lot of complications to go with all of that. But I still remember the first time that I told somebody whom I thought very highly of. She was somebody that had previously been involved in my organization. And I was so worried about other people's way of taking this because I could barely explain it. It's not supposed to happen. It's not a real thing. Like, you know, people don't do that. You don't want to believe that can happen to you. Like, How are other people supposed to believe it happened to you? And I had somebody that I worked with that I thought highly of who said, oh, oh, sweetie, like they can't, they can't do that. That's not legal to do that. I was like, I'm aware that's not legal. (laughs) Thank you. That's why I have an attorney. That's, that's why there's a whole process around it. They did also illegal to kill people, but it happened. So (laughs) that's why we have a legal system people do things that aren't legal but it's those type of things that like that's what made it hard and I was very careful who I even shared that with because it was still very fresh right and then to have that be the response and so that's why it can be hard to be vulnerable because the fact that people don't understand and so it's 
it's hard. If you've gotten to a space where you can speak about it with an even tone, and even now I'm sharing it with all of you in a very even tone, it has been years since that occurred. I've done so much to remedy myself and my career and everything since that happened. And so I can speak with an even tone. But even when you say it, then everyone's like, oh, that was nothing. It didn't affect her, right? It's not a big deal. But of course it did. Of course it had a huge weight. I still remember the wonderful friend, very well-intending friend, who I think highly of still, who called me to let me know how much less money I would make over my lifetime because that had happened. <laughs> and I was like, this this isn't helping. <laughs> like, I love you, but this isn't helping. And so it's hard to do vulnerability when you don't know how people are going to respond because it is such a complicated dance, right? Being able to convey what we've been through, being authentic about the level of effect it's had on you and being worried about being judged based on it. So it's a struggle, like it's a struggle about it. But the truth of the matter is, we're all vulnerable. Like I was still vulnerable whether I shared it with somebody or not. And so this myth that I don't do vulnerability, this myth that I could pretend that I wasn't vulnerable, no, I was very vulnerable. And there was people that I shared things with that it took a little bit of a hit when I shared it with them. But there were so many other people that I shared it with them and it was such a healing experience and their connection and their ability helped me get to a better place with it. And you have to go ahead and do that to find the good and the bad. And you have to walk through those places and find the people that are going to be the supports and the right people. It didn't change. Like the definition of vulnerability, like if we go back to that, I was vulnerable. Like there was no way I wasn't vulnerable. It's just how alone and vulnerable I was versus being vulnerable and connected and authentic and healing and getting to the other side of it. And so that's the myth of I don't do vulnerability. Like you're you're vulnerable whether you're going to share it or you're not going to share it. And so it's a matter of finding your people and and being safe and vulnerable in small ways so you can find that network that can support you. If that makes sense. And then the third myth is that vulnerable is letting it all hang out. So if you're vulnerable, you have no boundaries and everything is everywhere and that it's not safe to be vulnerable and everything is just all over the place. And I know we've all experienced someone who is in a place where they can't hold boundaries, but you can be vulnerable and still have boundaries and choose who you're vulnerable with. And obviously, with my examples that I gave, the one friend who, who gave me the quote about how much less I'd make over my lifetime. Um because the fact that I've been fired after reporting sexual harassment, she is somebody who is still a good friend and she's redeemed herself and been a great friend in a million ways since then, right? But the other person that professionally that I approached and she had that response of, oh, sweetie, that can't happen. She's not somebody that I continue to share that experience with or went back to. Is not somebody who uses a professional resource after that occurred. So it's one of those things that you can have boundaries and you can do that. So the quote from the book is like the research, again, because Brene Brown's a researcher, is that, you know, not everyone is safe to be vulnerable with and not every situation is safe to be vulnerable in. And so you have to judge and kind of figure that out. And so the exact quote from the book is, we need to feel trust to be vulnerable and we need to be vulnerable in order to trust. 
complicated mix, right? So it's a cyclical thing, a chicken and egg thing. You got to have one together to have the other to have the other. And so you got to kind of like build it slowly and build it in. And so the analogy that Brene Brown uses, she came up with it with her daughter. They had a marble jar in the classroom. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with this. When things go well in the classroom, like a teacher as a marble to the marble jar. And so that that's kind of how you slowly build up is by judging how many marbles you have in the marble jar to see if you can trust somebody. And it's the little things that, you know, like who remembered your name of your partner, who asked about how your weekend was, the little ways you build trust to see who are people you can be safe with, right? And so in that example, that's kind of how you build it. So you kind of stop and evaluate. And if you have kids, it's great for you to start working with them to evaluate who are your people that you're building trust with. Like what are signs of trust so that they can learn who are the people that they can be vulnerable with and they can be safe with and share things with and who are they building those relationships with. And as much as she uses the analogy of a marble jar, I'm definitely more of a fan of the analogy of a plant because she does talk in the book about you have to keep investing. It's It can be devastating to a relationship to stop investing in the relationship and to stop doing those little things and the damage that can cause with your partner, with your kids, if you just stop doing those little investments. And so that's why for me, it's much more like a seed you plant. And so when you plant your garden, you can put in you know, 10 corn seeds and I guess they're kernels, huh? I bet <laughs> you put 10 flower seeds, we'll go flowers. You plant 10, 10 little flower seeds. When you plant 10 flower seeds, only three of them might come up. Even though you're watering them the same and whatever else, only three of them will kind of take root. And that's the same when you start a new school, when you start a new job, when you enter a new environment, depending on that environment and what takes root or what doesn't take root, it can kind of change what is going to grow and what is going to take seed. But for it to continue to grow, you had to keep watering it. You had to keep adding to it. And so it is important to keep adding to those relationships and making sure that they continue to to thrive. So because Brene does talk about the disengagement triggers in that chapter that are damaging to vulnerability. And sometimes it doesn't seem like you care anymore because those acts of connection are gone. So that disengagement can be things. So that's why for me, it's much more like a plant And you can continue to inquire about what's happening in your kids' world, even if the response is incoherent, you still have the water. So unfortunately, there are plants that are called resurrection plants, if you've heard of them. Like I think it's called a Pyrenean violet. It can survive like 250 years of dehydration and freezing. But if you just tend to it again, it comes right back. And I feel like a lot of my (laughs) my relationships, that's when I planted because I can walk away from them for a long time and just a little bit of tending and they come right back. And so it doesn't have to be a plant that's as, you know, fickle as an orchid. Be more like a dandelion where you think it's gone forever. And then you just, you know, every summer it comes back, even think it's gone. So it doesn't have to be as delicate as an orchid. But there are different relationships that have different level of tending that they need. But to think of that as you work with your kids and work with yourself and think about those relationships that they are something you tend to and that you you add the water to keep them alive and to think about who's tended to the relationships and who's added to them. And that you need to feel trust to be vulnerable and we need to be vulnerable in order to trust and that you need to add those in small ways. And it starts in small ways of trust that can kind of build and become more of that. And so that you aren't just trusting anybody, that there are boundaries about who you trust and that it makes a difference and it builds on it as you do it over time. So the man that I enthusiastically share my life with, our first lunch after not seeing each other for 20 years 
Um, there was a lot going on in my life, and he definitely did not hear about it that day. We hadn't seen each other for 20 years. In fact, the the third time we hung out, which is a few weeks after that, he was pretty mystified that I only wanted to meet for like a happy hour, and I didn't want to go out with his friends. And it was a matter of just I was at capacity. I was dealing with a medical situation with a family member. I had a larger legal context that was suffocating my family, and I was at capacity. And so as much as two hours with somebody that I used to know who had hung out with a couple times, I knew it was a safe context that I would enjoy and I would have a good time because, you know, even then self, self-care was very important at that time in my life. An evening with a bunch of people that I did not know, having small tech and engage, I just was not capable of that. And so um, having that balance of, you know, where that was at and getting to know him and getting further into that relationship. And so we all have that where we walk those little lines of we give this much, we give this much, and then it just grows from there. And so it's important that you spend that time to kind of gauge how much information you give and how much you share as you as you grow in your relationships. Because obviously now he he knows everything about me. But it took time to grow that trust. And it was a matter of he actually came up to help me hang cabinets. And we ended up sharing like everything. Well, not everything. Some pretty big highlights that made it easy fill and all the other details. We spent that time together and had built that trust. And now he gets to walk the balance with me as I share in a podcast that we are postponing our wedding. That I was fired um, many moons ago. And that we spent six months waiting to see if I had metastatic brain cancer. and so. That's something that like we've grown into and that we've figured out together. So it's one of those type of things that you you figure out where those things are, where those lines are, and that for everyone it can be different. That you have that say about you can share this much with this person and that much with a different person, and it makes a difference. And as we wrap this up, I just wanna go back to something that I talked about on episode 18 with our guest, Donna Barker. She talked about writing from the scars, not the wound. And sometimes our boundaries when it comes to our vulnerabilities kind of connects to that. Because I know that when we're here, I am very open with you about some very vulnerable personal things that I've been through. And I want to model that. I want you to see that. I want to be part of that conversation for you to know that. There's also an element that I'm speaking from those scars, not from the wounds, that there are things that have happened in my week, in my day, in my month, in the last three months that I don't speak to the same. And I think that when you have that question about vulnerability and knowing those boundaries to remember, I mean, I've shared with you the story of how few people I told about my metastatic brain cancer when I was actually going through that. And to be able to realize that when I was going through that, it was very limited who I talked to about that. I definitely didn't do a podcast episode while it was happening. And in episode four on bucket lists, I talk more about that. But now that I'm in a different phase with that, and it is a scar and not a wound, I can speak more about that. So as you look at your boundaries, sometimes that vulnerable piece if we go back to the definition of vulnerability, right? And me talking about the sharing when you are vulnerable, that myth around that, that you are vulnerable, whether you're sharing it with others or not, that 
being more particular about who you're sharing with, depending on if it's still a wound and where you're at in that process and how vulnerable you are dictates how many people you're sharing and who you're sharing with and how much you can share. So hopefully that conversation with Donna Barker and that, I love that when she shared that about with writing is what she was sharing about in that episode. So our last myth that we're going to talk about is about we can go it alone. It's the fourth myth on vulnerability. And this is one that I definitely was guilty of after reading Daring Greatly the first time when I read it some time ago. One of the notes I wrote to myself was that I was potentially selecting romantic partners who saw vulnerability as a liability, which made it easy to never be vulnerable with them. <laughs> so um, kind of protected myself there. Ironically, I might have also worked at helping them be more vulnerable because, you know, clinical degree training as a therapist, I don't know. <laughs> and, and overall, I tend to do that with people while at the same time not applying the same rules to myself. And so one way is noticing how challenged you are to receive help. And if you go back to episode 35, when I talked to Josh and Diane, you might remember that I specifically asked them about how easy it was to ask for help and both of them trying to answer that question. And the reason I asked that is knowing for me, that was a big step in entering the amazing relationship I have was being able to ask for help. And for my partner, that was something he needed to work on as well, was being able to receive help. Asking for help still isn't something he still works with, right? But even receiving help for him was a challenge. And there's something that's in the book, Darren Greatly, very specific on this, that mentions about when we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. I say that again. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. Which is a phrase I read a few times when I read the book. So if you don't think you attach judgment to offering help, but you definitely have judgment about receiving help, there's a chance that you're judging unknowingly. That that knee-jerk first reaction you have when your sister calls asking for support or when somebody needs something, even though you go do it because you have to and that's how you define yourself as somebody who's helpful, that you're judging them because you don't ask for help or receive help well. And so in order for you to give more freely, you need to receive more freely. Did you get that? So in order for you to give more freely, which chances are you want to do, you have to receive more freely and you have to ask for help and recognize that you can't go it alone. That was a big concept for me. And I think that that's one of the places where in my life I've improved the most and grown the most because I love my father and growing up, I wanted to be like him who's very independent. He didn't need other people and I wanted to be independent, but he's also very helpful. So I wanted to help everyone, but not need help myself. And that's not actually how that all works. And so I really think that looking at Darren Greatly and looking at that for myself and understanding my need to be able to accept help, being a key component of me being able to give help and me finding out how to ask for help was a really important thing. Again, we go back to the story of me letting my 
now love my life fiance into my world was him driving up to help me hang cabinets. It was a big deal that I, I let him come do that. And look where it got me. So, <laughs> so yeah, he really did. It really was actually painting and hanging cabinets on the wall, y'all. It was no, no euphemisms there, no double speak. It's part of our story. <laughs> Being able to receive hope, even though it started as a, him offering to help me boxes turned into to that. We have quite a story. Anyway, when thinking along these lines, it's a whole way of not going it alone is you thinking about what draws you to others, what makes you connect to them is that authenticity, the joy, all those things that comes from their vulnerability, their artistic ability, their joy, all those things that comes from their vulnerability. And you want to experience that. But in order to experience that, you need to be able to share that part of you as well. So you need to be able to be vulnerable and you don't do that alone. You do that in concert. You see courage in others, but in yourself, you see that inadequacy. And for you to be able to see it as courage in yourself as well. For you to be able to understand that you're drawn closer to others, so others would be drawn closer to you for the same reasons, so that you can value in yourself those qualities as much as you value it in others. I am so grateful for the amazing friends I've had, for the books I've read and the opportunities I've had to learn that finally got me on the right path. And I think that part of all of this journey around vulnerability and understanding all of that is how come I am in the place I am. I'm living with my amazing partner and in this great place. So that's why I think the vulnerability is something that I want to see for others because I feel like it does bring all of those beautiful things into your life that we talked about. Before we go there, there was one more piece, one more element and Darren Greatly that I want to make sure that I bring to you. And there is a great part at the end too about kids and parents and talking about how you can do some stuff around this too. So it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I do highly recommend it and I will put a link in the show notes. But another element in there is she does a lot of research around shame if you weren't aware of that. And her whole lens around shame is just like perspective changing and very valuable as well. We could do two episodes just on all of that but in there when she talks about it because it's cornerstone of her work the stuff she's done the research around shame in that focus of vulnerability she does have a quote and i just wanted to make sure that i give to you in this conversation and it's saying that shame resilience is key to embracing our vulnerability we can't let ourselves be seen if we're terrified by what people might think we can't let ourselves be seen if we're terrified by what people might think. Often, not being good at vulnerability means that we're damn good at shame. So the shame resilience is key. We aren't letting shame define us. We're seeing things as individual instances and not defining ourselves by them. That I'm not letting, like for so long, like going back to my being fired, like that is just mind boggling. If you've worked with me and you didn't know that story, which chances are you don't because I don't talk about that story, <laughs> but your mind is blown to think that I was ever fired. I actually served on a governor appointed committee after that and had to write in my application <laughs> that, that I have been fired, which is just mortifying and it was super complicated at one time because with the lawyers involved that 
I wasn't supposed to be saying that I was fired in job applications because that was part of like the remedy that was going to be from the whole case. And so it was so complicated, but then me trying to be authentic and it was just so complex. Like the whole situation was very complex for some time. It can still have moments and places where it can be complex. But it's one of those things of like not letting that define me or shame me. And the agency, so when I was fired, I was given the option to quit because they didn't want to, like the the gentleman who fired me actually said, like, I don't want to ruin your career. So you have the option to quit. And I was basically like, you don't have the power to ruin my career. (laughs) I'm not giving you that power. And me quitting after like, no, I wouldn't quit and I'm not quitting. This is not my choice. And you know exactly why you're doing this. <laughs> I'm not going to give you that. The whole way they handled things and through the lawyers, the things that they said about me and all the different things and like involving lawyers and making it feel like, you know, if I said anything, I could get in trouble. And I still won't say the name of the company. I've wiped them from my resume, my online stuff. And so because I want no connection to them. It makes me sad, very sad. But I will not be shamed into silence over what happened because I know I did good work there. But that's it, right? Shame resilience is key to embracing our vulnerability. So we need to not be terrified by what people might think. So I can't be terrified by what people might think. There are people who are going to hear this and think, oh, she did something. It must be her fault. Like that's going to happen. But I, I can't live behind that. I can't Let the people who would choose to see that instead of see me be the people that dictate who I am. So anyway, I got off on that tangent again. That is one last piece. Her work is very great about being connected to shame too. So definitely, if you aren't familiar with her, I highly recommend her and connecting with her and daring greatly is wonderful. Rising Strong, I think, was my first book that I read of hers and I highly recommend it as well. So Yes, vulnerability is a heavy topic, so we are not going to start or have our grit wit, our takeaway today be connected to it because it is a little bit heavy. So consequently, we are going to have our grit wit be something a little more fun and fanciful so that you can just let this other stuff kind of sink in the background. So there was some wonderful research that came out at the end of January it was communication research. Jeffrey Hall and Associates did it. Quality conversations can increase daily well-being was the article. But basically, they had 900 students as part of this experiment were asked to connect with a friend in one of seven different ways. One of seven. So catch up about how you've been, make a meaningful conversation, laugh and joke around, show care, affection, and support, be a good listener, show you value them and their opinions, or give them a compliment. So one of those seven ways. So lots of different ways you could connect with a friend just during the day. At the end of the day, everyone filled out a survey about their emotions, their day overall, including how lonely, anxious, stressed, or connected they felt. And just that one interaction with a friend meant they felt less stressed and more connected at the end of the day, the individuals who didn't do that interaction, regardless of which interaction they did. So regardless, they were just catching up, or just one laugh, just joked around, or they did the caring or gave a compliment, just one of those things. So today, our takeaway is we're going to take 
that research and we're going to run with it. I'm going to encourage you to just reach out to a friend. And I think that that also, right, that connects to that that watering that we talked about when watering our plants or putting marbles in the jar, if you want to go with Brene's thing, that we want to water those connections. And so just pick a friend and it can be, you give them a compliment, you can be a good listener, you can laugh and joke around, you can catch up with how they've been, just connect. One friend. And According to this research, it's going to make a difference on your day. That is your grit wit for today. To make an impact on your day is that one little piece to make a difference. Thank you so much for joining me today. More than 70% of podcasts are found because someone told someone else about it. So if this episode resonated with you, if there's something you gained from it, please take a moment to find the share button wherever you're listening or go onto Instagram at the.grit.show or onto Facebook at The Grit Show and find this episode and share it with someone you know. This podcast is meant to be a resource. It's meant to make an impact and connect with people and create this community. And you sharing it is the biggest way you can support and do that. So your help is very much appreciated. And since that's how people are finding podcasts, you are part of the solution. So please, please pass on the word if this resonated with you or another episode has. And before you go about your day, pause for just one more moment, take a deep breath, and soak in all we've chatted about today. Let it settle just a bit. There was a lot. Before you walk away, just remember, you are the only one of you, the only human on this entire planet with your unique experiences and perspectives to offer. You are the only one of you that this world has got, and that means something. I look forward to connecting with you again next Tuesday. Until then, take care.